0: What we know is a drop, what we
1: don't know is the ocean. Hello and welcome to the Newton Knowledge Podcast. My name is Mark Singer, partner of Newton One Advisors, and I'm joined by our managing partner, Steve Target. Steve, how are we today? Good morning, Mark. It's great to see you. It's great to see you as well. The Newton Knowledge podcast will provide meaningful content to our valued advisor community and anyone interested in learning more about sophisticated insurance-related topics focused on estate planning and executive benefits. Our discussions will deliver unique insights into the people, processes, and products that make our industry so critical. Newton One is a national life insurance planning firm delivering customized solutions structured to help clients and their advisors engage in solving estate planning, wealth transfer, business succession, and executive benefits challenges we are a member of the m financial group which grants our clients access to the nation's elite carriers and exclusive products available only through our network today we have the opportunity to speak with emily skirm wealth strategist with pnc private bank emily how are we today
2: i'm great thanks mark excited to be here
1: excited to have you here you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do with pnc private bank
2: Absolutely. I work as a wealth strategist for PNC private bank, assisting clients with their financial and estate planning needs. I serve on a team of five specialized experts from portfolio management to trust services, but where I focus my energies is planning. I joined PNC in 2010 after graduating from Grove City College and have really grown up in the industry since. I have my CFP designation and I also hold my CLU designation, but happily hand off all insurance related matters to the experts here at Newton One. And I'm just really honored to be here and excited for our topic today.
1: We're excited to have you here, Emily. Thanks for being with us,
0: Emily. And we would back up um, one of your designations, the CLU, which was uh, earned from the American College, which is our, what we would consider on the insurance side of the business, the uh, the gold standard for uh, designations. So we're proud to have you with us today and certainly enjoy working with you and, and with your valued clients. So let's let's start a little bit at, at a very high level, um, just speaking about estate planning. And estate planning can be defined by different people as different things, but I think we would probably all agree or suggest that that some form of estate planning takes place or should take place with, with most families. Um, and it's putting together a plan to help identify at the very least, how do we transfer assets? How do we, how do we transfer um, assets can be things, it can be money, it can be desires to different people or different parties upon death. So talk to us about the, the process that you and your team work through with regard to uh, estate planning for your clients.
2: From my perspective, it doesn't matter whether you have $100,000 or $100 million. A basic estate plan is critical for every and all families. When working with clients, I begin every engagement with a basic goals-based discovery process. We help our clients articulate first their personal goals, secondly, their family goals, and then their charity and legacy goals in that order. As a wealth strategist and a financial planner, it's all well and good when the client says that they want to give their children the world in terms of education or a leg up in life. But where we first need to make sure the clients are is taking care of themselves, their basic needs, addressing that they can handle events in terms of long-term care or they can get to retirement and still maintain their lifestyle. The basic standpoint of their cash flow, if they can meet those objectives, fantastic. If they can't, then maybe we need to have a, a conversation level set to help them get a better position for a reality. Do they need to tweak their spending now, asset allocation? Let's strategize the most efficient way to make that a reality. And as we start to have these conversations about what's most important to the clients in terms of their overall goals now, it really leads into that legacy conversation about what happens when I'm gone. Now, there's a running joke in my office that I usually kill off every single one of my clients in a meeting, but we really need to have to these conversations and get to the heart of what does happen when I pass. Where do my assets flow? Do you want your assets to stay in the bloodline? Or are you comfortable with dollars going to a child's spouse? Does one of your children have a highly litigious profession where you would have concerns about creditors? Sadly, one of the issues that's becoming more prevalent these days is substance abuse. Do you have a child that um, having a windfall of this kind may help to feed their addiction? And often the hardest question, I know that two of you run into this as well, is what is fair and what is equitable among my children? And we try to flush out all of these concerns with our clients to determine the focus of the estate planning objectives, even before sitting across the table from a drafting attorney.
0: So that's a a great explanation and and a wonderful way to set up the rest of our conversation today. What got us um, thinking about today's podcast was specifically the sunsetting of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, which is gonna take place on January 1st, 2026. We know that date's coming. So we we know that something's gonna happen. Um, So if we shift our conversation from general estate planning to estate tax. Can you review with us how is an estate tax determined? I mean, there, there's ownership interests, there's certain assets that are considered part of your taxable estate, other assets that may not be considered part of your taxable estate. Let, let's walk through that a little bit and then discuss um, how some of this may be changing between now and 2026.
2: Absolutely, and so instant disclosure right off the bat. Uh, now to C- CPA, so speaking in generalities, of course, In terms of the taxable ownership, it's really any and all financial assets to which you have direct title. It could be everything from your home to your 401k that is included in the calculation for your federal estate tax. Certain trust, depending on their structure, can be excluded from the taxable ownership category. Um, If you have irrevocably gifted or transferred ownership of said asset, and it's beyond what they call the clawback period, three years and legal pieces there, but It's important to remember that there's also a difference between taxable ownership, which is what we're discussing, and mere taxable income. For example, you might receive income from a trust that was irrevocably set up for your benefit, and you need to pay income taxes on any income that is paid to you on a regular basis. If you don't have what they call the ability to grant the ownership of that trust beyond your passing or a general power of appointment that's not included in your tax in terms of your federal estate tax bill. So it really just depends on how the trust is set up, whether or not it's included in your overall estate tax from, from that perspective. But us getting into the weeds a little bit. In terms of the numbers, and we always try to look at things from the perspective that things are always changing, taxes being one of the most I certain doubt. in life, and that uh, we're in large not trying to have the tax tail wag the dog. Taxes are always a big concern for individuals, whether it's your taxes that... We talked about the income taxes on a regular basis. What happens when I pass? How much is going to go to the federal government or the states when that time comes? Currently, we're in a period of really inflated federal tax exemptions. Currently, for an individual, it's $12.92 million and nearly $26 million for a married, filing, joint couple. After sunset, those figures will revert with the cost of living adjustment expected to be for rounding purposes around $7 million per person pretty significant haircut from where we are right now.
0: 7 million versus almost 13 million today. Exactly. That is significant. And so that changes the number of families, of course, that potentially could be subjected to estate taxes. Absolutely. Can we talk a little bit about what an estate tax is, what what the percentages are? I mean, is it a large number? Is it a small number? Do we think that number is going to stay the same? Of course, we're not predicting anything, but, you know, we're just having a loose conversation. It sounds like you're asking
2: me to get my crystal ball out and kind of project the future. I can't do that. But I will say, um, you know, all kidding aside, in our industry, we always anticipate and expect that taxes are going to have to rise. We live in a country that is expensive to live in. um, From maintaining our infrastructure, our military, just the entitlement programs from uh, Medicare and Social Security, there's a lot that our government needs to pay for in order to meet the obligations for its citizens that money needs to come from somewhere. Some of that comes from our income taxes. Every time you get a paycheck, you'll see a nice little deduction goes to the federal government, um, to your states as well. But from the federal estate tax standpoint, that's another way for the government to get some additional revenue and resources, but they don't wanna hurt everyday Americans. So they set some limits as to where that starts. And that's the numbers that we were talking about in the last question. When we actually look at um, the future, again, very hard to predict, we can only really anticipate that from an income tax standpoint, things are going to rise. From a federal estate tax standpoint, we know for certainty that on January 1st of 2026, things will, what they call sunset, go back to where they were before, that $7 million per person. In relationship to that exemption going back to where it is right now, a lot of my peers aren't really anticipating that that will happen. So let's plan for the here and now. You may hear that phrase, um, you know, use it or lose it pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. And if we are going to be as prudent as we can and using the figures as we know them, that's when we start to um, try to be as prudent as we can with our planning techniques for clients.
1: Good. Looking forward. What I hear you're saying is plan for now with the the flexibility to, to pivot later. What does What does your team help facilitate in terms of, discussing some of the strategies that families can implement to help mitigate some of these estate taxes and proposed estate
2: tax changes. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And, you know, it's all getting back to the client's goals, where we start every single one of our conversations. What do they want to have happen after they pass? They may, again, want to keep assets in bloodline. They may want to support charity. Whatever the case may be, that helps to kind of guide our decisions. But if we're just looking at things from a pure tax standpoint, the lowest hanging fruit is spend your money now. If you have enough resources to last your lifestyle, you know, travel around the world, eat at those five-star restaurants, enjoy the fruits of your labor. Chances are that's not going to get you all the way there. And, um, you know, you might get tired of all of the the fancy food and being on an airplane or or waiting at TSA. So if that ends up being the case, then the next most prudent method tends to be gifting. And gifting can happen in a lot of different ways. There's what they call annual exclusion gifting. That's a figure that's looked at every year, about 17,000 for an individual, married, filing company, uh, married filing joint couple can be 34000 per individual. So if you're looking to get assets out of your estate, that's, again, some low-hanging fruit. You can pay for medical. You can pay for uh, health-related expenses directly to the institution. Also helps to de- decrease the overall size of your estate. But if we're looking bigger picture and clients are really trying to take advantage of that use-it-or-lose-it aspect right now, there are some estate planning techniques that we can use, a lot of estate freeze techniques that we can use, where we really irrevocably do some gifting now Um, there's no gift tax due but you do need to file a gift tax return again not a cpa but i would recommend that you work with one um, to make sure that you're locking in the gifting that you've done at these higher exemption amounts Um, and then like i said there's a a plethora of ways that you can get into actual strategies as long as it all ties back to the client's goals
1: That makes sense. And uh, we've we've worked together for some time now. And I know you and Steve have worked on a few cases. And this is a selfish question. But I don't think you were going to come here and do this podcast without us asking this question being a life insurance consulting firm. Where does life insurance fit within the estate planning structure in terms of creating liquidity for such income tax situations or estate tax situations?
2: Yeah, I'm shocked that you're asking about life insurance. As we're sitting here, totally shocked and appalled. Obviously, life insurance is is a great resource, and we look at it as a, a piece of our client's portfolio in a way that can help them get to where they need to be. For me, as a financial planner, it all comes down to the math. Does the premium outlay make sense for them in order to use life insurance as a means to, one, fund future estate tax liabilities, essentially buying a bucket of funds that they can use to pay that bill, or help use that life insurance to equalize the estate? One of the cases that Steve and I did where we had a family that had a family business where they have certain children that are involved in the business and certain children that are not. So when they were looking at their overall estate, obviously the business being such a huge portion of their overall balance sheet, they wanted to be as equitable, again, equitable and fair, not always the same in every family, to their other children. So what is the best way that they can try to equalize the other children who are not involved in the business and quite honestly have no desire to be involved in the business? using life insurance. They used what um, is called an irrevocable life insurance trust as the the chassis for that insurance. And by doing so, they purchased a significant policy, put it in this trust so that there's no gift taxes due or anything like that. And when they pass, now the other child that is not involved in the business effectively has been equalized from the child that is. Now, a million factors could happen in the future. Again, that polished off crystal ball maybe the business goes to zero, maybe the um, business exponentially grows beyond their wildest dreams in the next 20, 30 years. That we can't project, but we can at least plan for the here and now. And again, take advantage of those gifting um, restrictions that we have. And, and the form that we can use is really that irrevocable local life insurance trust. And it's a great way to help equalize.
0: And of course, kind of table stakes for us, but certainly something that you believe in as well, is putting all the professionals in the room together. Have everyone sitting at the table, strategize, go back and forth. We are in the life insurance business, but the reality is, you know, we've got, as you mentioned, the numbers have to work. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of strategies and a lot of ways to mitigate some of these estate taxes um, that don't involve life insurance. But if we get to the end of the process there and the numbers work and it seems to make sense and we think it can be a, a Pretty wonderful vehicle. We're sitting here in Delaware today.
2: We are I beautiful, think, sunny Delaware. A beautiful,
0: sunny Delaware. I think it would be uh, surprising if we didn't bring up some of the advantages that Delaware trust or other Delaware tax planning may hold for some of our clients. So let, let's talk a little bit about that. Have you seen that as an opportunity?
2: Absolutely. So Delaware itself, um, you know, we usually just see it as that. Uh, that sales tax haven, people can come across the border and go to Christiana Mall or um, anywhere and buy things without sales tax. But there are a lot of estate planning benefits, not just shopping benefits, in in Delaware and a few different trust structures that are, I would say, more unique to Delaware than they are to other states. I would have said only unique to Delaware, but certain states have changed some of their estate laws to be a little bit more favorable than they used to be, but they're still, I would say, you know, several decades away from the support that we have in terms of Delaware here. Two of the most popular trusts that we hear about are the Delaware Asset Protection Trust, or APT, as you don't commonly see it, which for individuals that are in these highly litigious professions, doctors, lawyers, et cetera, where they're concerned about being sued, malpractice, whatever the case may be, they can use the wrapper of a Delaware Asset Protection Trust, and there's a holding period for years. They need to meet some certain obligations. But if they do, there is never a time where a creditor can attach themselves to the assets and they would have to pay out those those funds. So that's a huge attraction for um, a lot of professions. Now, there are some, you know, the federal government can always come after you for taxes, child care, or excuse me, uh, uh, spousal support and um, child support payments. So those types of things there's no protection from, and nor should there be, but everything else creditor can attach themselves to. There's also obviously um, the uh, the Delaware, what we would say like more of a dynasty trust, where a lot of states have laws that a trust can only exist for a certain period of time. The law of perpetuities, if you've ever heard that thrown around. Delaware throws that to the wind and we have what are called these dynasty trusts, where you can have a trust that exists beyond all the lives that are in being at the time of its creation, meaning that families can continue their wealth for multiple generations. So that's, again, a real unique component of Delaware and going to get a little bit nerdy on you. But one of the things that also is pretty unique to Delaware is our court system. So we have the chancery courts that are here, unique to Delaware, that focus solely on the teen uh, trust and estates business. And when you're specifically in trust and estates, they have the ability to have judges, and clerks and staff that understand that business so much better than other jurisdictions, where they're tied in with all of the other civil cases that may come across, across the docket. So, if you need to make a change to a trust, you can file a non-judicial settlement agreement, an NJSA, much faster than you could potentially in a different jurisdiction.
1: Steve and I love nerdy, so please keep, <laughs> keep nerding out. So we understand that we are a very small piece of the overall estate plan when it when it comes to, to partnering with individuals such as yourself and PNC as well as the estate planning attorney and, and CPAs. But is there anything else that your team uh, helps facilitate in implementing any any forms or any other strategies outside of life insurance? Uh, terms of family LLCs, grats, donor advised funds, are there any other strategies you'd like to share with us that your team uh, can be a resource for?
2: Absolutely. And and as I've said, it all comes back to the client's goals, but here's where we're getting, getting into the alphabet soup. So there are many, many different ways that we can help clients to achieve their goals, but it really depends on what they're trying to accomplish. So if you have a client that has a family business, as we talked about, you could use what's called an intentionally defective grantor trust, a way that you can help to gift some of the appreciation out of the estate for the individual, which is a great way to help build that legacy. Coupled with a life insurance, it's kind of a you know a one-two punch to really help reduce that federal estate tax liability or take advantage of it as we have right now and still get our clients from where they need to be. If you have clients that are charitably inclined, you could have... um, either a charitable remainder trust or a charitable lead trust that allows them to benefit an individual loved one family member friend whatever the case may be and get the benefit of a federal estate tax exemption for the charitable component of that trust a really really big advantage for folks that do have that dual purpose goal that they're trying to accomplish. I would say the other big piece that we're seeing a lot of these days you may hear um the the term slat thrown around and I will say it's slat not slap because it is a spousal uh, trust so I want to make sure that we're pretty clear on that so it's a spousal lifetime access trust where you're effectively still allowed to have the other spouse have access to those funds for meeting their obligations paying their bills mortgage whatever the case may be but you've effectively taken that out of your estate for federal ex- exemption purposes. So, for clients that are a married, happy couple, and um, they have maybe 20, 22 million, and they're looking to lock in that exemption amount because they know it's going to go down to 14 pretty quickly for the two of them, they are able to use a slat in order to reduce some of that federal exemption amount.
1: Great information. Truly uh, a wealth of knowledge here, Emily. And it's been a blast speaking with you today. Is there anything else you'd like to add or is there any, anything else we missed before we, we close our segment here?
2: No, I just, again, I, you know, thanks for having me. And um, I encourage all of our partners and listeners just to always take a step back and consider what your goals are. And it's not always, again, just taxes leading the way. Make sure whatever you do, you're looking at your goals first.
1: Thank you so much, Emily. Thanks, Emily. <music> Material and opinions voiced are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what is appropriate for you, please contact a member of our team.